Hello. In mid-April, I joined a multi-agency team led by the Nature Conservancy of Canada to do a prescribed burn on NCC's Old Man on His Back Ranch. The 13,000-acre property, located in southwestern Saskatchewan, is grazed by cattle and bison and is almost entirely native prairie. Over the five days that we were on site, we burned nearly 50 acres of grasslands. I caught up with several of the crew members during the burn to find out what the purpose of the burn was, how a prescribed burn is properly conducted, and what it's like to be involved with a project like this. Let's get started. You are listening to The Prairie Naturalist, Saskatchewan's nature radio show here on 91.3 FM CJTR Regina Community Radio. I am your host, Gabriel Foley. Saskatchewan's prairies evolved with fire, and fire was used by Indigenous peoples in North America as a management tool for millennia. But throughout the 20th century in North America, wildland fires were strictly controlled. Education campaigns, some of which were so effective we still recognize their mascot, showed fire as an all-consuming inferno, destroying lumber stocks and pastures, killing wildlife, and wreaking havoc on natural systems. While these statements can be true, increasingly, research surrounding fire shows that it has a positive role to play on the landscape as well. In fact, fire even has a role in preventing fire, fighting fire with fire, if you will. Smaller, more frequent fires consume the fuel loads that large, severe fires require that are otherwise accumulating in forests and grasslands. The Nature Conservancy of Canada decided that, in addition to grazing, prescribed burns would be a useful tool to add to their management toolbox. I joined them in the field for five days of burning and talked to my fellow crew members about why the burn was important how it should be accomplished, and what it was like to be on the front lines. Jackie Kruger is a graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan who is studying the effects of fire on soil carbon. So I asked her to tell me about her research. Can you tell me a little bit about how fire affects the soil? Um, in the short term, there's a few maybe negative effects. Um, kind of depending on the fire intensity which wildfires have like a very high uh, fire intensity but controlled burns really aren't um, very intense at all so there's a little bit of change in the um, bacteria to fungal ratio um, in the smaller fires in the large fires sometimes it kind of uh, wipes out that bacteria and the first soil layer mm. completely so that's one thing about prescribed fire that um often people confuse is that this is like a very low intense fire compared to a wildfire that kind of has a bit more of a destructive force. Hannah Hilger is also a graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan and she's studying the effects of burning pastures on cattle grazing and I spoke with her about her research. How did the vegetation respond? Vegetation response, so I'm still kind of looking at that, but I did some of the biomass analysis already. Um, it kind of varied between the two pastures, so the smaller um, 
seated pasture. It looked like the year-to-year impacts had more of effect on the amount of biomass within the pastures uh, and the fire the burn plot and say a controlled plot that wasn't burned they didn't really have much of an effect or didn't weren't significantly different from each other i guess i should say um, and then in the native prairie pasture it was kind of a bit of a mix so the fire comparing the burned and unburned plots to each other uh, they were significantly different between years and between treatments. So the fire did have a bit of an impact on how much biomass was growing. And so what, what are some of the results that you found so far? Uh, in terms of the animal movement side of things, I've found that the cattle are slightly, slightly attracted to the recently burned areas. Um, we kind of saw a slight increase in utilization uh, looking at our data from our GPS collars that we had on them. So we had seven GPS collars tracking the movements of these cattle throughout the growing season and we started this in 2017. So that year we did not have a fire uh, so that was kind of a control year see where they go uh, and then in 2018 uh, in the end of April, we had our prescribed burns in two pastures, and, and and again throughout the grazing season, which started in June, we tracked the movement of those cattle to see where they went, kind of after the fire. How different do you think these re results would be if they weren't in like the dry southwest region of Saskatchewan? Um, I think you still might find a little decrease in the burn plots, uh, but. Definitely the really dry years we've had would make a difference. Um, I forgot to mention in both plots, the litter biomass was significantly lower for the mm. fire treatments than the non-burn treatments. So I think you would find that anywhere just because you're removing all litter from the plot. Matthew Braun is the manager of conservation science and planning at the Nature Conservancy of Canada. I talked to him about why NCC decided to use prescribed burns as a management tool. So why is, um, why are, why is doing these burns something that NCC is interested in doing? Yeah, that's, um, so we're, we're, we're an organization that recognizes the importance of, uh, of conserving natural landscapes and also understands that we need to, they need to be managed in as, as close to a system of mimicking how they were how they evolved as we possibly can so um, we do part of that by we mimic part of that uh, that evolution system that system of evolution that system of disturbances that evolve those systems we do part of that through our, our grazing program where we get make sure our grasslands are, are grazed by livestock and uh, in the case of OMB also by bison so that that mimics that type of disturbance that those landscapes were evolved and the landscapes and the species they're evolved under. And uh, the second component of that is of the, of the fire as well. So we know that we know that these systems uh, in Saskatchewan, these, these grassland systems evolved with, with a combination of fire and grazing. And um, it's a lot easier politically, socially, uh, just logistic wise to, to incorporate grazing into our management system. But adding that, that fire is, um, is a real, 
real challenge uh, uh, for all those other for all those in, for all those reasons and all those other areas. So we've we've uh, we've started doing that now. Uh, like like some other agencies out there, we're trying to trying to make sure our system, uh, even in a small way, can mimic mimic the, the combination of disturbances that these these you know these species and these ecosystems require. Dale Gross is another graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan. He is looking at the effects of recent fires on bison grazing, and he explains some of the history behind Old Man on His Back to me. Can you tell me about the Old Man on His Back Ranch? Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it was the Peter Brutella Ranch, his wife Sharon Brutella, she's a famous, she's a famous author. Uh, they uh, donated and purchased, and NCC purchased some to Nature Conservancy in um, 1997 after a long, long negotiation process because 3,000 acres they, they were able to acquire, but 10,000 was government lease, so that took a little bit extra time. So now you have 13,000 acres of relatively pristine native grassland, and then some of the uh, cultivated land was ceded to native grasslands. Um, bison handling facilities were installed in the early 2000s. Uh, the entire perimeter fence and lots of crowds fencing was put in heavy-duty stuff. Uh, lots of money was raised. This was this was NCC's flagship property. This was their um, primary enterprise for a long time was to get this thing suitable for bison, and that was one of the wishes of Peter Vitalis. And then, like, think of that. The, Fundraising effort, the, the logistics, organizing, execution would have been huge. And NCC was different at the time. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the powerhouse that it is now. So. And uh, yeah, in 2003, the bison were released into the um, land. And it was to, to a lot of fanfare. I remember that reading about that at the time. And not even knowing where it's, uh, Old Man was or what NCC was or anything. But just thought that was really cool that they would... Do that. That was something I've been studying in my in my master's program at the time. So. And then, uh, yeah, um, fire was always talked about. Uh, just the logistics, the, the community. Um, it's very antagonistic towards fire, so uh, we knew that would take a long time to um, shift attitudes towards it. So we knew we were, we were in for a battle, but uh, it was always part of the original project that. Uh, natural disturbances like bison grazing and fire would be included in its management. Matthew Braun told me a bit more about what is involved with accomplishing a safe and successful burn. Um, when you want to do a burn, you're not just going in there and lighting a match on right. right? What is it that you do exactly? Yeah, so th this actually is months if not years in, in preparation and, and really of course starts with our, our research project, which was to look at the movement of the bison and the, and the livestock and the changes of the species composition with the, with the burn. And uh, when, when the University of Saskatchewan worked on that project originally and developed that research idea, then, then we, we had, uh, we, we laid out the plot, they laid out the plots of where they, where those burns were going to happen, where that, where that sampling was going to happen. And uh, so once we had those plots laid out and we knew what we wanted to uh, burn and why we wanted to burn it, that's how you can then develop your prescription. So then we spent a really long time 
working with, again, many different agencies to develop that prescription on, on how we would actually conduct the burn and when it would happen. And so then, then that's that consultation process to make sure that you're, you're, uh, you're burning safely and you're not damaging any of the wildlife that actually might be might might be there and be needing that habitat during that during those times. So you have to work on that and do that consultation so it gets done right. So that all eventually comes together to get that that prescribed burn plan with which is what we can move forward with to do the consultation, to work with our, our the real municipality that we're working with and the volunteer fire department that that we were really leaning on, and also all of our neighbors, of course, to, to let them know, to inform them as to what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. So, so that was the basis of that. And so once that plan was developed, we could get the, the mow guards uh, put in. So we had our, I believe it was 28 feet of, of mowed grass around each of our units, and they were 300 meters by 300 meters. And so we had the, um, the mowed guard in, and that that was that allows us to have a change in the fuel type, um, so that we can slowly and carefully build our our black line off of that. And our black line is our the uh, the vegetation that we actually burn off a few feet at a time to try to give us that uh, that safe edge to, to to allow the fire the eventual fires later on to move into. So um, once we've developed those black lines on the the downward sides, then we can start taking chunks of of um, of unburned grass and lighting them up and letting the fire uh, go out into that black area and, and as we get uh, bigger and bigger black area to, to work on we can we can take bigger and big, bigger chunks of it off and so um yeah so we have our we have our crews watching for our any escapes and keeping the edges keeping uh keeping the fire from uh, escaping from the edges and also from uh seeing if there's any spots or or escapes through the through our black line that we've established uh, just keep moving uh, further and further upwind until we're we've uh, squared off our entire chunk there. And you were also the burn boss today. today I was the burn boss. Yes, at our prescribed fire here at Old Man on His Back, I had um, had a crew of about fourteen people from a few different agencies, uh, including Nuwasan. Shout out to Mountain Nuwasan. They're they've been really supportive of getting this done. We also had uh, Grasslands National Park two people from there who were quite helpful and um, with the University of Saskatchewan students as well and then um, through the course of the week we've also had uh, Prince Albert Tribal Council's uh, fire fire preparation crew leader he's the trainer for them he was out with his crew from Nikonit as well uh, Nikonit First Nations which is about an hour and a half uh, northwest of here we've had yeah quite a few and of course the Frontier Fire Department as well were here uh, for all of our burns. So it's pretty multi-agency. It's been a multi-agency um, multi-agency from the get-go, which has been amazing. We've gotten to meet a bunch of great people and uh, learn from everybody, and I think people have learned from, from having that experience on the, on the fire as well, which is pretty cool. I caught up with several members of the fire crew and asked them about what it's like to be involved with a controlled burn. So you have been on a few fires here at Old Mail on His Back. Um, can you tell me what it's like to be involved in a prescribed burn? Um, they're actually quite boring, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of standing around, um, actively watching the fire and making sure things are going well. But if things are going well, you're not actually doing that much work. 
Um, but there's so you want the fire to be boring. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when the fire is not boring, that's not a good sign. <laughs> so yeah, um, but being on the fire, it's really, really cool to see. Uh, and just the way that we can control it so well, I think is pretty awesome as well. That corner where Dinyar started this line is the top stick we're going to let it change. So we'll let this back burn until, until basically right where you stand. What's it like to be out on the burn line? Well, at first, I guess, starting burning, I was a little bit nervous and scared. Um, so I had, I guess my heart rate was pretty high because I'm not used to being around fire that much. So the first year was a little bit more scary. I wasn't comfortable being on the back burn and things like that and so this year I was more comfortable being on the back burn and just kind of you have to trust the wind and trust your knowledge and how I guess fire behavior knowledge and just know that everybody else on the fire line is looking out for you as well. Matthew this is as thick as you want it. Yeah. Okay. okay put this one out guys. Yep. And like how big are the flames that we're talking about here? The flames are not very big because the wind will kind of, I guess, crush them down a little bit. So the flame height is probably 12 inches, maybe. Depends how the how much litter there is, because sometimes it can be a couple inches. And like if you have, say, pussy toes or something that doesn't have a lot of litter around it, then the flame length is a lot lower. So how important is wind when you're burning? It is very important because you got to take into account if the wind switches. Because if the wind switches, then it kind of ruins our plan. So we just usually will put the fire out if the wind is switching. Or if it's switching a lot, then we kind of work in smaller patches. So when you're out there, obviously you're dealing with a lot of smoke. Um, how's that? You get more used to it, I guess. And you have proper protection. So I wear glasses or goggles and I have a carbon filter bandana over my face. I have coveralls on, always wearing 100% cotton underneath so nothing melts to you. And I guess it's getting used to it and kind of, I guess if you're getting too much smoke, then switching out with somebody else.
And Kylie, uh, what's it like to be out on a burn line? Um, last year was my first time out on any burns, prescribed fires. So it's kind of a new experience. It's really exciting. Um, we have lots of knowledgeable people out there with us. So it's just good to be able to learn from those people. How close are you to the fire when it's happening? Sometimes just uh, a foot away. Sometimes when it's a larger fire, you want to be further away than that because it gets pretty warm. <laughs> And what's your role on the fire? Um, I've been switching it up a lot. So sometimes I'm on one of the rancher units um, with the water. Some I've been the igniter, which is super exciting. So actually starting the fire, um, that that's probably my favorite because <laughs> um, it's I don't know it's just really exciting. Um, I've been on a flapper. I've been on the water packs. I've been kind of all over the place, so it's fun to switch it up too, so. So what's it like to be part of a fire? Uh, it's really exciting. I feel super lucky and uh, there's so much opportunity to learn and grow in terms of being in a team, doing new things, and um, yeah, I, I, it's just exciting. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're gonna light this up now. So we're back to holding the cattle trail. Can you describe what the fire is like when you're burning? Right. Because we are burning at this time of year where it's not like wildfire conditions, this is spring, it's usually the ground is still damp from winter. There's, we want a little bit of wind, but you don't want too much wind. Um, you just need that wind to kind of push the fire one way and so it doesn't just go up and, and, and go out. So having that fire right near you, it's lower than your, your knee, basically. So it's less than a foot sometimes off the ground. So it's not like a huge flame. It's not what you see when you think of a, a grass fire because it's very controlled, it's very small. You can smother it out with a mud flap. So it's not scary. Sometimes when those sagebrushes catch, mm. you know, you have, to, you have to watch out where you're burning and, and be aware that those can catch. But even after, even if you walk past it with a drip torch, it takes a few minutes for them to really spark and, and, and light up. And there's a lot of waiting, too, involved with this, eh? Tons of waiting. Tons of waiting and watching and seeing how the fire is responding when it hits grass or damp areas or, or no. The vegetation sometimes is overgrazed. There's a lot of moss and lichen, which doesn't really burn. What are some of the things that you can do while you're waiting? Mostly you are just looking out for everyone's safety. Um, we sang a lot of songs today. <laughs> <laughs> Things about prairie fires and ring of fire kept going through our hair. Heads, but uh, you are just kind of, you have to make sure that you're not being com complacent. You're just watching mm. and thinking about if something goes wrong, how am I going to 
address this and where am I going to be? So. And you did lead everyone in a session of yoga out on the prairie pre-burn. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. <laughs> we were waiting for the wind to calm down enough and the conditions to be correct for burning. And in order to, you know, keep everybody a little bit warm because it is cooler out, but also to, to calm some of the anxiousness about getting out there and getting ready to burn. And, um, and I just like to do yoga. So we were all out there in our full coveralls and steel-toed boots doing yoga. No and yoga every, mats. No yoga mats, <laughs> just right on the ground. I had to warn them to watch that their hands weren't going on any cactus and making sure that uh, they weren't um, kicking the gators that were behind them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was, it was quite funny. It was great that everybody participated. Literally I thought, everyone. I just thought that some people would just watch and laugh at us while I let two people do yoga. <laughs> but no, everybody participated and the burn boss said he really, really enjoyed that. So that made me feel good. <laughs> breathe in, right, breathe out in a big circle. You can, yeah, sorry, oh. and you can arch your back or curve your back as you go. Find what feels good, people. All right, we're going to find some stillness, holding still. And you're going to shift all your weight forward into what is called the plank. Now we're oh, kill me now. <laughs> going down onto your knees. There's no pressure to be strong like that. <laughs> and we are going to do something very, this could be very thorough. You gotta tuck your pelvis in, or your belly in. Hurry it up, and your yeah. <laughs> And your elbows into your body, and you're gonna lower down. Relax your elbows, bend them, drop them to the ground. And feel that stretch in your upper back. Breathe. Oh, these are too tight. And it's so restrictive in these <laughs> Feel the strain of the cover. Sandwich. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to add, Marla? It was a lot of fun, and I think being on a prescribed burn makes you a be very aware of of the dangers of fire, but at the same time, you are aware of the safety and and the wisdom and knowledge of the people you're working with and the trust in there is amazing. So. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. My thanks to everyone who participated, both in the show and in pulling off a safe and successful burn. If you have comments or questions about what you've heard, you can reach me on Facebook Prairie Naturalist, or on Twitter at the PR Naturalist. This has been the Prairie Naturalist on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. I'm Gabriel Foley. Thanks for listening.